Uh, hello everybody, my name's Darren. I write a blog called The Demon's Voice about movies and shit like that. Uh, you can find me at thedemonsvoice.blogspot.com or you can follow me on Twitter, which you should definitely do, at The Demon's Voice. You know, even if you're just going to throw abuse at me, that's fine. It'll count as a follower and I'll just mute you, so all good. Uh, today we'll be talking about the film If Beale Street Could Talk, which is the film that my friend asked, oh, is that that pretentious looking movie? Uh, yeah, yeah it is, but it's also really good, so you should all go and watch it if you haven't already. And maybe this will be the, the podcasty bloggy thing that convinces you it's worth worth your time. So, I mean, fucking hell, if you've given up time to listen to this and you have time to spare, go watch fucking Beale Street. Anyway, here's the podcasty thing. I live in a predominantly white area where I have to remind myself not to stare at a black person if I see one in the street, because they're just such an uncommon sight. In fact, the area is so white that if my friends and I were to find ourselves in a horror movie, then I'd almost certainly be the first to die, simply because I have the most basic hint of a tan about me. However, whenever I've been to the cinema to see a film by any kind of minority, then in every single case that minority has been in the audience too. This was the case with Crazy Rich Asians, Black Panther, and most recently If Beale Street Could Talk, in which there was a single black lady sat in the seat that I'd actually booked for myself. Every time I see this happen, I'm reminded of why representation really does matter, and how refreshing and needed it must be for those individuals. Still, I did say that in this case the lady was sat in the seat I booked for myself. And I know it was her fuck-up, but considering the film we were seeing, I have to admit that I did feel proper shitty having to tell her to go back to wherever her cinema ticket says that she belongs. The film itself was pretty much perfect in every way though, which I'm aware of despite the fact that I spent the first 10 minutes feeling like Rosa Parks' bus driver. If Bill Streets Could Talk tells the story of a young black couple in the 1970s, in which he is arrested for a rape that he didn't commit, and she finds herself pregnant with his child. Not that the film is a tense thriller in which everybody races to prove his innocence before the kid is born, or anything like that. It's mostly a film about the love that these two characters share for each other, and the shit that they have to endure simply because of who they are and the colour of their skin. The critic Roger Ebert once referred to cinema as an empathy machine, and although that's probably lost on the teenagers that just use it as a room to shag in, it's hard to argue with him in the case of this film. When the girl discovers that she's pregnant, the film is suddenly less interested in the drama that she might cause than it is in how she feels about it. Not that I'm any the wiser as to why people have kids, I guess. As far as I'm concerned, a child is just what happens when you find a way to put a downer on banging, and it's the reason that you can no longer afford any Xbox games. However, the pregnancy is shown to be nothing but good news in the movie, with the exception of the father's own mother who can't see past her own bullshit religion and her son's lack of marriage. I think that the film is about the love that the two main characters share for each other, and how important love is in overcoming the bullshit that's thrown at us. Not least of all because the second that that soon-to-be grandmother starts mouthing off about God, she receives a quick backhand from her own husband, and that's pretty much the last we see of her. I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video in which Sean Connery talks about how he'll occasionally slap a woman that's pissing him off. Well. I think the guy in this movie that slaps his wife had been taking private lessons on how to do that from the Scottish fucker himself, because the bitch is literally never seen again. The second that she gets open palms smacked in the face, it was as though she and her negativity were being swept out of the entire movie to make way for the characters that actually care about each other. Although if anybody at all brings God into a conversation for no reason whatsoever, then I suppose that there's no reason a quick slap won't get rid of them too. The film is more concerned with the internal life of its characters than it is in racing towards its next plot point. Due to its non-linear nature and an occasional artsy-fartsy shot, the movie has a poetic feel to it which is helped along by a pretty perfect score. You'll notice I said artsy-fartsy there to make it sound like I'm not pretentious before comparing the film to a poem. I'm aware of that. Not that I know any fucking poems, of course, but you get my point. You'll understand even more if you saw the director Barry Jenkins' previous film Moonlight, which is not only a masterpiece, but my favourite film to feature a couple of guys having a wank on a beach. In both cases, 
There's an almost timeless quality to the movie in which it could almost have taken place during any period. I tend not to read books because they're full of spoilers for the movies that will one day be made of them, but I'm told that this film was based on one. I presume the book was set in the 1970s, which is why the film is too. However, you almost suspect that Jenkins has kept the time period the same, as a way of highlighting how little has actually changed in the last few decades. And when I say suspect, I mean I heard him say in an interview, but in honesty, I'd like to pass that off as my own astute observation. When it comes to the film's depiction of racism and the injustice of having this innocent man arrested for a rape that he didn't commit, we see what happens when power is in the wrong hands. The whole situation essentially arises from a racist policeman, forcing a rape victim to identify the main character as her attacker, which obviously highlights how rigged our society is against those without a voice. I've been in situations in work in which somebody has been promoted above me, and the second they get a little bit of power, you can literally smell their erection whenever they get a chance to prove they're in charge. It was therefore watching this movie that made me realise why so many fucking psychopaths might be drawn to the police force, in which their word is considered to be the law, and thus they can instantly feel superior to almost anybody. Presumably racism stems from an insecurity, and I'm guessing people who need to prove their own authority are pretty insecure, and so you can see why this job might appeal to them. Not that I'm suggesting that me being told that I'm not allowed a cup of tea in the office by some tit on a power trip is the same as being falsely accused of a crime because of the colour of my skin, but I'm sure that we all agree that both situations are at the very least pretty fucking annoying. It's probably worth pointing out at this point though that despite the downer of a story, this movie isn't a two-hour misery fest. In order to highlight how traumatic this event is for all involved, the film spends most of its time showing the two main characters' love for each other and the love of their family around them. It's a story about two people whose love is so pure that if it could be crushed and snorted, then you could probably cut it with a fuck ton of baking soda before selling it on. The two main characters are soulmates, which is something I can relate to because that's the exact kind of relationship that I'm in with my own self-hatred. Love is also the only emotion I felt for this movie, which should be seen by everyone, especially now that I've already seen it, and they're less likely to ruin my screening by talking through it at the cinema. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but I booked five fucking seats to avoid having to sit next to any strangers, and not only had the woman sat in my main seat, but she'd also scattered all of her shopping bags and her coat along the others. It was even more awkward when she then only moved two seats along, and we both turned out to be the only people in the screening. Still, if I'm seeing a film as incredible as this one, then I'll take awkward silence over any noise pretty much any day of the week. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers, and see you next time.